everyone, and welcome back to the Asbury Deep Dive podcast. I am Melissa Ivy, and it's just so good to be back with you all. If you want to receive text updates whenever we post a new podcast, you can do that by texting at Asbury Dive to 81010 just to stay up to date whenever we post new things. And so today we're going to be looking at the beginning. We're going to be looking at creation and the fall together, looking at um, what kind of happened pre-fall, what has now happened post-fall. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you know, that we live in a broken world or that we live in a fallen world or things are not as they should be, right? These are phrases that I, I feel like I've said a lot or um, you might hear in a Christian context a lot. And so I wanted to kind of give more context context to those phrases and really look together about what does it mean that we live in a fallen world and what effect does that have on us? And so in Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation account. And then in Genesis 3, we have the fall. And so by looking at what was created before the fall and then what happens as a consequence of the fall, we can get a more clear picture of what it means that we live in a broken world and what that means for us, right? We have, because in antithesis, we have what was originally created and what has now been tainted because of sin. And so we're going to start in Genesis 1 and 2, and these are the creation accounts. I hope you've read them. I hope if you haven't read them, you go back and read them after listening to this or pause right here and go read them. Um, But they're both different, but they're both accounting the same creation. And so in Genesis one, we have, it's a poem. So it's very well thought out. It's very strategic. There's patterns. It's a poem. And then Genesis two is prose. So it's a story. It's a narrative. It's telling us more details. It's, they're both very beautiful. They have very beautiful language. And, um, Genesis 1 and 2 tell us a lot, but they also don't tell us a lot. And so I think a lot of people, as they engage with Christianity, have an issue with the creation account because they say, did God literally create the world in seven days, right? Did this literally happen in seven days? And I don't know. And I don't think it matters, right? Because to God, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And so first and foremost, timing is time means something different to someone who's outside of time. And so for us and for our sake, he you know, it's written as if it's days, but maybe it just means seasons or maybe it just means a time or, um, you know, it's not clear. And Genesis one and two was not designed to answer the science side of creation. However, bottom line, we can all agree in the Christian community. We can all agree that God created it. So whether it happened in seven days, literally, or whether it didn't, you know, we, we just go back to the bottom line that God created it. And I think that's a really important place to start that this is God's creation. And so we're going to kind of go through and look at what was created first and foremost. So in Genesis 1, we have the heavens and the earth created. We have light. We have the heavens and the sky, which are separated, creating our sky and then a separation to the heavens. We have land and sea created. We have vegetation. So that's plants. And plants are specified that they have seeds, um, each according to its kind. And so here we already have some rules of nature going on, you know, that a certain seed will produce a certain fruit and that's just the way it is, right? And so that's a good thing. That's just in creation. And going on from there, we have day and night, right? We have seasons and signs for them, which I think is really cool that seasons were created from the get-go. And I think there's a lot of significance there. And we have the sun and moon. We have water animals and flying animals. Um, and after the water animals and the flying animals are created or birds or animals of the sky or however you want to put that, um, we see the first command creation is given. So to the fish and the birds, God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill your area. So essentially he says to fish, fill the entire sea. And to birds, he says, fill the entire sky. Right. And then we see the creation of land creatures. And then in chapter one, verse 28, we see the creation of man. And to men, he once again gives the command of be fruitful and multiply. 
He says, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing. And so that is first and foremost created. And then chapter two, the first few verses also close out this first poem where God creates the Sabbath and he rested from his work. And so that's a lot and we're not going to cover everything, but we will get back to some of those pieces as we move forward. And then in Genesis two, we have more things created, not necessarily more things on top of that, but we see Genesis two as an expansion of the creation of man and humanity. So it kind of goes into more details. And so we see this breath, breath of life, right? We see man was now breathed because God breathed into them, right? We, we hear a description of the garden of Eden, right? We're told about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we hear about the rivers, the f- four rivers that are there in the garden as well. And, um, and then in verse 15, man is instructed to work in the garden and to keep it, which can be, can, you know, it's similar to the fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over everything. So a little more specific though, you know, work the garden, keep it. Um, and then in chapter chapter two, verse 17, we see the first rule, which as a rule follower myself, I'm kind of glad that rules were created pre-fall. Uh, rules aren't necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, so the first rule is don't eat of this one tree, right? God is giving Adam the commands and he says, you can eat of literally every single tree in this beautiful garden I have created for you, but you cannot eat of this one tree. And so we see a lot of things instituted or begin here, right? That's the first rule. So now we have obedience kind of start. And then, but on top of that, we see free will and we see choices because this tree was out in the open. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't behind fences. It wasn't buried off. You know, God simply said, I'm giving you everything. This is in your path as well, um, but don't eat from it. And so we see that choice, that free will that man has, um, as well as the expectance of obedient on God's side, which I think is really cool. And then we'll get back into that more in a moment. And then verse 18 and on in chapter two, we see the creation of Eve, as well as the beginning of companionship, the beginning of human relationships, um, you know, as well as the beginning of marriage. Um, you know, the first, you know, instance that God has talked about marriage, which is super cool to think about that marriage is from the very beginning, from the very creation, um, which is really awesome, as is relationships. You know, it's not good for man to be alone. And as you read chapter two, I think it's really cool, the narrative of how Eve came to be, as it's described there, um, because it talks about bringing all the animals in front of Adam. And of course, God knew that none of those animals were going to be the right companion for him. Of course, God knew he was going to create Eve. But by bringing Adam into the conversation, we see that relationship between God and Adam. We see for the first time in our scripture, God taking into account what man has to say and what man desires and what man thinks and feels. And it's really cool to see that relationship just from the get-go. That was God's plan to be with us in that and to relate to us in that way and to help us in relationship in that way. So those are, that's a very fast summary of all the elements in and of themselves that were created in the creation accounts. I hope that you go read them at some point. It's really, really beautiful language. Um, And then we go to chapter three, which is the fall, um, which takes a shift in tone. I love looking for tone shifts in writing because it tells you a lot. But um, in chapter three, we see some interaction, right? We see the serpent is introduced um, and we see the interaction between them and we see doubt, which I don't think doubt in and of itself is bad because we could pause the account right here. And if Adam and Eve had started to get these doubts because of the serpent, they could have went and found God, right? God was in the garden with them. God was dwelling with them. They didn't have to just go do act on what they were thinking. They could have gone and talked to God. They could have said, we're having these doubts because of this guy. What should we do? Right? So I don't think doubt is is a sin. I think what we do with it is what causes issues as we see for Adam and Eve very clearly. And so then we see, 
um, these first, I would say, kind of elements of sin introduced into the world. So um, the serpent makes them doubt that God has what's best for them. So we see we see some elements of pride. We see some elements of doubting God, questioning God, um, which I think it's okay to doubt God and it's okay to question God. But what you do with it is so much more important, right? Do you just live out of that doubt and that questioning and just decide, all right, God's not real? Or do you go to God with it and say, hey, I'm struggling in this. How can you help me through this? Because he always has an answer to that, which is just so, so beautiful. And so um, we see in chapter three, they have these doubts. They Maybe there's pride there. They want to be like God. Or maybe there's that doubt there. You know, there's a lot of different theories on what that first, you know, really inclining of um, sin was. Um, But end of the day, bottom line, they ate the fruit. Um, together they did that and then God, you know, they eat the fruit, they realize they're naked. So they hiding from God, which is kind of a really funny concept. Um, and then God walks out and finds them. And I love seeing this first interaction of God, because I think when we read what happens next, as he doles out the consequences of what's happened, we picture it in wrath and we picture it as so mad, but God doesn't run through the trees, rip them out from where they're hiding and start yelling at them. God walks calm. Like God knows exactly what has happened, right? He knows he probably watched it happen. Um, but instead of, you know, acting out in anger and wrath, he walks out and he says, hey, where are you guys? Right. He lets them still approach him. He doesn't intrude on them. Right. He's kind to them. And um, he they do approach him. They tell him the situation and God then has to issue the consequences according to their actions. Um, and so there are lots of results of them eating the fruit. And so they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, whatever that means. So now they have the knowledge of good and evil. And so I don't even want to answer this question because I don't have an answer, but what is it like to live without the knowledge of good and evil, right? And so we will forever, you know, in our current state, we know the difference between good and evil. We see good and evil everywhere in your world. You probably don't have to look that hard to find even within your day to day, some good and some evil, right? Whether that's in yourself, in your family, and if you watch social media, it's not that hard to find. Um, And so there's lots of results of eating the fruit. And I think one of the main ones is just our... Our, I don't want to say our brains are different, but we know different things than what God has originally kind of said for us, right? And so he had this perfect plan for us and we deviated from that. We didn't fully trust him or we didn't fully obey or whatever words you want to put there. That's, that's what happens. And so now things are not as they should be. And I think oftentimes in our world, bad things happen, bad, bad things happen um, that we just can't explain. And so often, you know, I think when people are suffering or hurting from the loss of a loved one or a loss of someone too young or um, things not working out for them or just, you know, them doing the right thing, but still getting hurt, you know, you could go on and on of unnecessary suffering and um, people try and put answers to that. But the bottom line answer is that things are not as they should be, you know, suffering and death have been entered introduced into the world. And, um, so we're going to look specifically at what those sufferings are, what that, those consequences are because of the entrance of sin. And so, um, still in chapter three, God starts to dole out the punishments. So first he talks to the serpent who we know is Satan, right? And so Satan, if you don't know, was originally Lucifer, who was an angel. Um, it's just kind of believed that, um, Lucifer was a beautiful angel, one of the top angels. There's different type of types of angels. I'm not even going to try and explain it because I don't fully understand it. Um, but there's different types of angels, and we're led to believe Lucifer was one of the greater ones, you know, one of the ones with more abilities. Um, not like power, magical powers, but, you know, some angels just sing in the chorus, right? There's choruses of angels. So he was more of a... Um, 
I don't want to say interactive one, but that's probably the best word I have for it. Um, so, but then Lucifer and his beauty, he started to become proud, right? So this angel started to be prideful in his beauty and he started to want to be on the same level or if not better than God. And so an angel was kind of the first being to turn against God. This angel that was originally created good by God, um, started to, you know, take too much pride in his beauty, too much pride in his work. And scripture says that unrighteousness was found in Lucifer. And so then Lucifer's name is changed to Satan by God. And so anytime a name name change happens in scripture, that's very, very significant. And so um, this angel's identity is fully changed because he allowed that to happen. That's what he had already lended to. And so God changed his name. And um, from there, he was cast out of heaven. And then we're going to pause there because there's so much more and there's, I'm sure, lots of spiritual things. And honestly, I don't know all of the answers there. I haven't studied it in too much depth because my opinion of it is, I, does it really affect me to know those details? And I don't feel like it does. If you want to go on that quest, be careful, use reputable sources, you know, um, talk to people who have studied it more than I have. Um, I don't think it's bad to dive into that. I just haven't. And so I'm not going to go further with that. Um, but in essence, what we do see happening here is that war in the spiritual realm has started. There are now angels and there are also demons, right? There is now God, but there is also Satan, um, which was fully creations. You know, that wasn't God. God didn't do that, but it did happen. I mean, so war in the spiritual realm happened before Adam and Eve, right? And so this is, we know that because the serpent is there talking to them and the serpent has already fallen. And so the first punishment to the serpent is that his legs were taken away. So if you take that literally, I picture like a lizard and then God takes away his legs. So he has to slither like a snake. So snakes were created, but, um, then there leads to a million more questions off of that that I also don't have the answer to. But I think the point is that this, once again, we have to remember this isn't necessarily literal. So maybe that is literally how it happened. I don't know. But if you think figuratively, what did God do? God stripped away some of Lucifer's or some of Satan's powers. I don't know what that means. You know, he just took away some things from the serpent, made him creepier, made him whatever you want to put there. Um, but basically took away some of his power is the first punishment. And the first punishment is against the enemy, the one who, you know, is the spark that caused this. The next thing that happens or the next um, consequence is that there is now enmity between the woman and the offspring of, between the woman and her offspring and the serpent and his offspring. And so in one version, it talks about the, the seed of each, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so, um, there's now hatred between the two. And I have heard some people say that, that the, you know, it's, it was between a woman as in EN women, like all women that the enmity was placed, but I think equally men and women, um, you know, it's humanity that is against It's the seed of Eve, which is literally every human, um, and the seed of the enemy which is, you know, the evil powers and all those things. And so there's lots of different, you know, you can get into lots of different trans, you know, lots of different things of what the seed of the woman is. And so, um, collectively, most of all people believe it's humanity, but also redeemed humanity. And so that would start with Abel who was then murdered. So then it picked up with Seth. So you see throughout the Bible, it goes through patriarchs and these families that follow God. And so that is kind of could be what they mean by the seed of, um, the woman is these people who choose to continually follow God, right? Redeemed humanity. Um, but then as you, you know, you, you think about what we know about the world today and we have Jesus. And so it could even be a reference to Christ, which is crazy cool that we have hints and notes of Jesus, even here, even in the midst of the very, very beginning. And, um, it talks about with the serpent, part of the punishment is that, um, 
humanity or, or the seed of the woman will bruise, um, will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise the woman's heel. And so, um, I think, you know, there's, there's lots of belief that this is in reference to the cross, right? That Jesus was wounded on the way to the cross. Yes. So that's the bruise of the heel, but ultimately the cross is the destruction of the serpent, right? Crushing the head, um, is that symbolism, which is crazy cool. And I think, um, so there's a lot there you could, that is another rabbit hole you can dive into. Um, but I think ultimately one thing we definitely see here is that humans are now involved in the spiritual warfare, right? So spiritual warfare happened before this, but now because we have, um, made that sinful decision, we are now a part of the spiritual warfare, um, which wasn't as it was supposed to be, right? We weren't supposed to be a part of the spiritual warfare. Um, so that's what kind of happens or the consequences that go to the serpent as well as to us, you know, we're infected in that as well. And then he addresses both woman and man, um, as well. And so for the woman, we see pain in childbirth and then essentially the husband shall rule over you. And so, this means, okay, so pain in childbirth. So yes, literal pain during labor. If you watch any other animal give birth, um, they're much more peaceful. They experience way less pain. And so we see this um, excruciatingly painful childbirth for humans now, which is very symbolic. You know, there is now pain in the world. There's now pain in life. Pain is now a part of life. And a part of this plight is not just um, for the woman that, er, and the man as well, they're affected by this as well. Um not just the physical pain of labor, um, but the pain of raising children. I'm, I haven't raised one yet, but I'm sure it's a headache. Pain in conceiving, you know, not everyone can get pregnant and that's not as it should be, right? We are created, um, men and women are created to create more life. And so um, what has been tainted is now that ability to easily and freely do that um, is all a part of that. And like I said, the painful birth is representative of painful or of suffering just in general. And, and then the second piece, the husband shall rule over you. And it talks about your desire being against him. Um, so essentially what's happening here is, um, conflict, right? The relationship, the beautiful equality that God created is now tainted, right? Companionship can now be a struggle, right? So we add in all these pieces and I fully believe. So as you study, um, men and women, there's strife there. And I think it comes back to this, or I know it comes back to this exact moment between the two genders. There's now issues, there's now, um, fights and conflicts and, um, lots of different issues and power struggles and things like that. And I fully believe that there is a level of equality that we will never know until Jesus comes back and fully restores. And so we can read the new Testament and there's ways that Christ redeems this, you know, the Bible and the new Testament did so much to uplift women and, um, women in America today are also uplifted in comparison to times back then. And also in comparison to other countries. And so there's places and ways we can restore these pieces. I think that's, you know, in women and the way they're treated is a great example. Um, but there's also pieces and notes of the sin that will always be there. So I fully believe once we get to the second heaven that there will be new, this new equality, you know, equality will mean something different because we'll see it in its purest, most beautiful form, um, which I think is beautiful. But we you know the consequence we currently live in is that relationships now have issues, which I think is in all sense of relationships um, is affected by that. And then we see the, um, the consequences to men or man. Um, and so, 
the you know the man is equally as guilty he is not you know i think people will say you know eve is the one who did it adam just stood there you know but adam didn't stop it adam didn't go and get god you know adam was not a passive victim as eve ate the fruit he also ate the fruit he also had those doubts he also did those things and so um there's not pitting against the genders here right they both equally did this and so um we see the consequences for man is pain in the work and in producing and by the sweat of your brow um as well as death so de- this is the first time death is introduced, right? Death is not how it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be God's eternal. He did not, you know, create death, but now there is death. And so um, both of these pieces, you know, to both gender, I think affects all of humanity. You know, um, it speaks specifically to one or the other, but it's, you know, every single human is affected by these things. And so um, essentially sin has changed things. And so, you know, that term sweat of, you know, by the sweat of the brow, that refers to anxiety, you know, and so when I think anxiety and depression are brothers and sisters. And so this is the first time, you know, those things are introduced into the world, you know, that those aren't as it should be. And so, um, sin has changed things. So what specifically do we pull out of this that has changed? Well, first and foremost, creation is cursed, right? The ground is cursed. And so you get this picture that before sin, you know, um, I don't know how many of you farm or garden, you know, Um, But nowadays we have to deal with weeds and you have to deal with this and that and so many issues. But you get this picture of in the original creation, you know, you would plant the seeds, water them, and they would just grow easily. It was easy to produce. And you can um, compare that to now we have the thorns, we have the struggle. And I think that's a very easy way to see one of the ways in which the world has fallen. And then um, work and rest are tainted. And so work and rest were created before the fall. Right. Work is not a punishment. Work is part of our in being, you know, part of our original design is that we like to work. We are able to work. Right. God worked, you know, and then God rested and rest is something that we are. I don't think we're really good at, you know, and so you could lay on the couch and watch Netflix all day. But are do you really feel rested after that? Sometimes, but most of the time I would guess no. Um So work and rest are now tainted. Um, So work now has lots of anxiety, right? It's it's stressful. There's issues, Um, not only other issues in relationships. And so you can take that to coworkers and bosses and all those things, but also um, work can sometimes just be hard or draining or whatnot. And then rest in and of itself, if you're not going to God for that true rest, rest can be, you know, not always great or sleepless nights. You know, there's lots of things that have been affected. And so we get this picture that in the perfect world, which I can't even necessarily picture work that isn't tainted with um, anxiety or stress or struggle. Um, But work is a good thing. You know, we're supposed to want to work. Um, We're able to work. We're created to work to do all these things. But now there's taints to that as well as to rest. And then, you know, I think that also leads into, so our original calling we see here in Genesis 1 is to subdue the earth and to have dominion over it. And um, I think when we read that now, we read that with like a bit of a twitch or a bit of a like, you know, you want to shy away from that because we've seen it done poorly, right? Humans have not done a good job of ruling the world, of um, ruling the earth, of subduing it, right? And talking more about man's relationship to creation or whatnot, not necessarily for world domination of, of over other people, which we don't do that well either, um, rule other people. And so we, our original design as humans, as humanity was to 
reside over creation, was to take care of creation, was to nurture creation, right? And to rule over it, but not in a domineering way, but in a good way and in a, in a way that's helpful and kind and all these things. Um, but we do it wrong because there's people out there who don't believe and there's people out there who do believe, but don't, you know, f- you know, we all mess up. We all um, have sin in our lives. And so we all do this in not good ways all the time. And I fully believe we still would have civilized, right? Civilization still would have happened, right? We still, you know, farming was kind of the original project, but I think, you know, we still would have gotten to the point where we built ships and went across the seas and we still would have created electricity someday and we still would have different jobs and different things that we're passionate about, but it would just be untainted, right? It wouldn't be painful in and of itself, but then it also wouldn't cause harm or it wouldn't be um, strife or this country against that, against that country and all of those things. And so um, the original call to have dominion over the earth isn't bad and necessarily isn't scary. The issue is that we are sinful, we are fallen. And so it is once again, not as it should be, right? This, the way things are now is not the original design. A world pandemic was not God's plan from the very, very get go. Um, Another thing that has changed because of sin and the fall is equality and relationships, right? We've, we, we talked on that a little bit already, but relationships just sometimes are just really hard and um, are, can be a struggle and there's conflicts and disagreement in and of itself isn't bad. But now you add in fights or yelling or name calling or so many of these things that aren't necessarily good or can't, you know aren't good. And so relationships now are harder and they're a struggle in their work. And we get this picture of pre-sin, of pre all these things of just the beauty in relationships and only the really good bits are the pieces that we get to live in, um, which is awesome. And then um, sin has now added into the world pain, suffering, and death, right? These things are not as they should be. And so if you are suffering, that's not God's original plan. If you, you know, we all will die, that's not God's original plan. And so I'm glad that Christ has come and we have eternal life and all of those wonderful pieces, but um, the world is still not as it should be. And um, on top of that, now we have a need for a savior, right? Which is crazy that God already hints to Jesus in this piece, right? He already kind of, um, only when you go back and look at it, do you see that? I'm, I don't know in the moment if they would have really noticed that, um, but now we have the need for the savior. And so, um, it's crazy to think of a world where we wouldn't necessarily need a savior. Um, you know, we can think of the second coming, but we'll always, you know, we'll always have Jesus. We always will need him as humanity because we did fall and we did need him to save us and restore us to his original things. And, there's lots of consequences for this. And a lot of the things of why we're, of why things happen now are because of the fallen world. And so our relationship with God is also shifted, right? We don't live in the garden of Eden, right? We got kicked out, which was a mercy to us. And it's really cool. Cause if you think God's not merciful, right? As he's making them leave the garden because they would die if they stayed in his presence. Cause now they're sinful. He clothes them with garments and there's some people, garments of skin. And some people will say that it was the lamb skin. So while they're even leaving the garden very first, they're covered in the blood of the lamb, right? They're covered in the, in the lamb and which we know is the lamb of God will be Jesus someday. And so even, even in the get go, we see God's mercy, you know, even in the midst of our very first sin, which has so many consequences for so many different things, we see God's mercy sending us out wrapped in his salvation in his love. And once again, him making us leave the garden, wasn't, I mean, it's a punishment and it's consequence. However, it wasn't out of wrath. Really, it was a mercy because I mean, they would have died in his presence because they are now sinful. And so he sends them out to figure out the world. Um, and I think, I mean, there's, there's hope to this as well is that Jesus has 
remedied lots of these things. Jesus has made great strides in these things and a lot of these things. And I'm just so glad we live post Jesus and we get to know him, which is so beautiful, right? Because you know, sin and death still have a place in this world, but Jesus has destroyed them, right? He's defeated them. And someday at his second coming, all of these things will be righted. All of these things will be turned back to the way they were supposed to be, um, which is crazy to think about. Like there's just so many, these, this is just scratching the surface of just the boundlessness of um, the original creation that God has for us. And I just think so often the answer to the question of why can't I hear God right now? Or why is this not happening for me? Or why did this person die? Or why do good things happen to bad people, right? These types of questions that we just, uh, or bad things happen to good people, you know, either way you want to ask that question. The answer is just that it's a fallen world, right? Things are not as they should be. And I think instead of trying to find a nice answer, you know, if someone's child has passed away and you say, oh, they're an angel now. No, that's not accurate at all theologically. And it's also not helpful. You know, I think more helpful is just to say, sometimes nothing, but just to remember within yourself that it's just a fallen world, right? Things are not as they should be. So things are going to happen that just don't make sense. Um, and I think that also just builds within us the hope of what restored creation looks like, right? The hope of what it truly means to sit back in these original things that God created for us. And I, I love once again, that we live after Christ because a huge, you know, reconciliation is the theme of the Bible. Like that's if, if Genesis three did not happen, the Bible wouldn't exist because we wouldn't need it because we would still be in the garden with God, right? Reconciliation is only needed because we sinned and we fell. Um, and so I think that hope of original creation is just so beautiful and it fills me with so much joy and hope to think about that we have that promise of someday getting to see that, getting to see the beauty of it, getting to see how things were supposed to be. And um, I think as a Christian, it's, it can be super important to know, you know, the effects of the fall, the effects of sin in the world. And I mean, we see the effects of sin in our own lives all the time, but I think going back to that original account, going back to what originally happened and what, you know, the consequences of sin, um, I think it's important just for us to know and us to be aware because in those ways we can see the enemy at work and we can fight against that, right? We're, we're now involved in the spiritual war we were never supposed to be involved in, but when we know the game, when we know what happened, we can fight that better. We can play in that better. And I think, um, of course you don't do any of that without Christ. Like Christ is such a, you know, that is the answer is Jesus and going to him. And a lot of it's just going back to him for strength. But, um, I think the main re there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to share this with you today, but, um, one of the main ones is just that hope, that hope in Christ, that hope in so many good things to come. And, um, just imagining that world that he created that was untainted and all these beautiful, beautiful things that were created in his perfect order. Um, and just the wonderful idea that we get to get back to that someday. is just so, um, so hopeful and so wonderful and so lovely. And so, let me just pray over all of you in conclusion. And so, Jesus, we just thank you so much for your original creation. God, we praise you as the creator. We um, we just can't help but love you and be drawn to you because of the beautiful things that you created for us, Lord, and the design you had for us and the, the goals you had for us, Lord. You are just so, so good. And um, Jesus, I pray that as people are struggling and suffering and as people are dealing with the effects of the fallen world, that you would just... Help us be in relationship with you. Help us be closer and closer to you every single day, Father, that we would not get confused with um, 
you know, thinking that you did something when it was simply just the effect of the fallen world. Father, we pray for restoration for everyone, for reconciliation between you and humanity, as well as the reconciliation of all things, um, that creation would continually just be restored into the original view. And I pray that you just keep giving us more hope and more glimpses into what your original design was for each individual, as well as for all of creation, Lord. Jesus, you are just so good and we love you. Amen. Amen.